0: Well, 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 we are going to be in a different uh, section of the Bible. You've probably noticed these last few weeks that we are kind of jumping around. We are focusing on this new uh, series of ours called Blueprint, the Summit Design. And and let let me give some backdrop and let me recap a little bit. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn, go ahead and turn to John 15 and we'll work our way towards that. We are doing this series called Blueprint, not because we're trying to, here at Summit Church, create something that's new and something that's fresh. We are trying to, as best we can as leadership and one another, be the church that God has already laid out that we need to be. So the Summit design plan, the blueprint has already been given to us, and we are simply need to put effort into studying and knowing what it is that God wants and becoming that. So our design is nothing extraordinary and out of the blue, no pun intended, the blueprint is one that God's already given us. So we want to go through this series to show here at Summit what we believe God is is saying is of most important for his people and for his church. And so let me give a recap. So three weeks, we've been in it already. The first one, we looked at Isaiah and we focused simply on the individual heart of a person that God is looking for. And even in the example of Israel, the people's hearts had been drawn away from him. They were not humble. They were not contrite in their spirit. They did not recognize the great need that they had for God. And they dishonored him, not necessarily with their rituals and their lips, but they dishonored him with their heart because God can see into our hearts and he knew that his own people, Israel, had rejected him, and they found their sufficiency and their help and their hope in themselves and in the world. And so we talked about the people that God's looking for, humble, contrite people who tremble at his word. The last two weeks, we spent time looking at our foundation. Our foundation was actually a a mixture of two things, but those two things are one. What was the first one? Or who was the first one we focused on? Someone tell me. Jesus. So you will see here at Summit, we will make a big deal about our foundation being Jesus. But we don't stop there, do we? There's a comma, Jesus. And then what do we learn? And what do we focus on last week? Jesus, what? The word of God. That is very purposeful. It's it's not something that we're saying Jesus, the Word of God, and we're just trying to you know like heap a bu- bunch of uh, 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 adjectives there. We are purposefully focusing on that our foundation is the person, the Son of God, God Himself in the flesh, the one who is preeminent, as uh, Dennis read from Colossians, one who is preeminent before all things and is head of the church, Jesus Christ, the person, and a personal relationship with Him. His people have. But sometimes churches tend to focus on just the relationship, just the Jesus part, right? And this word of God part gets neglected. And we're wanting to bring in the full picture that you don't have Jesus without the word. And you don't have the word without Jesus. And so our foundation is the person of Jesus who is the word of God, because John one tells us that in the beginning was the word the Word was with God and the word was God. And we're going to see today in John 15 that Jesus himself is going to reiterate that true disciples abide in him and his word abides in them. The foundation is both we want to make sure that we don't have this pendulum swing that is the temptation for every church to focus on some hyper uh, hyper view right over here where we have bad doctrine and we have this emotionalism, and it's all about this wonderful personal relationship, but at the neglect of something that you can't separate from Jesus. But then you, what, what, what you, have you ever experienced a church where it's, it's like the Ephesus church? It's all about accuracy, and it's all about doctrine, and it's all about hating the right things, and, but then Jesus looks down at the church of Ephesus and like, but you've left your first love. I want your heart, though. You're doing everything right. You're hating the right things, and you got the right answers to everything, but I don't have your heart. Both. Jesus the word of God, something we must be devoted to. And we're going to now start working our way towards our mission. Can anyone off the top of their head uh, say the mission of our church? To make disciples, to make disciples yes. But does anyone know the, the wordage that we've used for our mission? Uh, Lucy is absolutely right. Does anyone know the, the wording that we've put together for our mission? I heard it. Who was that? Who's going to take credit for it? Kelly, thank you. Both of you are right. The goal is to make disciples. Our specific mission as we've worded it is to glorify God by making disciples who exalt Jesus Christ. Notice the first part of that mission is to glorify God. We could actually just stop there. We could just say that our mission is to glorify God, but we've qualified it a little bit. We've explained it a little bit by adding the rest of it. To glorify God, how? By making disciples, followers of Jesus, who do what? Exalt Jesus Christ. Now, the making disciples part comes from Matthew chapter 28. I want to read it very quickly for you. Matthew 28, Jesus says this to the 11 disciples at the time. We're, gonna, we're actually going to talk about that today. Not the 12, but to the 11 disciples at the time when he said this. They were on the mountain, which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw them, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, here it is, the great commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, Jesus says, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit, teaching them to observe All that I commanded you and behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. This is the great commission, the great responsibility that God has given to his disciples to go make more of disciples, to multiply, to do for others what God has done for you. As you have been met by the Holy Spirit at a point in your life and you have been awakened from dead life into new life and now you are starting to understand and grow in the purpose that God has for you. You were then supposed to take that light to the world and give it to others as it's been given to you. That is the great mission of the church. And so Summit's mission should be the same. How we do that can come in many different shapes and sizes and on individual levels and corporate and communal levels. But it happens regardless and needs to be the focus. But we can all understand a simple command to go and do something, right? Go and make disciples, our passage for today, though, is going to be focusing on what it means to be a disciple. Though, well, what type of disciples are we going to make well, when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple? A very, very, very important section of Scripture we're going to look at today. Every portion of Scripture is important, but it's like when you focus on it, it feels like, "Well, this is the one." But this is one very specifically that God Himself in the flesh, Jesus, chose. Out of all the things he could say the night before he died to give to his disciples and want them to remember it. So John chapter 15, John 15, we're going to look at the first 11 verses. And before we do, I want you to see something on the screen. I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to tell you what my hope and desire is that you leave with today. We're going to look at what the goal is to happen inside of our hearts, and then we're going to work through it and see the words of Jesus that are actually meant to lead us to this. I hope you leave today determined to experience the full joy of being a disciple of Christ. And I have verse 11 there, because if you look at John 15, verse 11, we're going to actually start at the last verse. I'm not going to work backwards, but I want you to see it really quick. John 15, verse 11, Jesus says this, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy be in may be full. He says, these things I've spoken for the very purpose of this happening in your hearts. So this is, this is our goal. Jesus is, we're gonna read words that Jesus gave to his disciples to accomplish this. And this is what we wanna accomplish today as we look at what does it mean to be a disciple? Being a disciple involves what? And guess what we're gonna see today? There's such thing as being a fake disciple and Jesus is going to expose that. So here's what we're gonna get We need help from Jesus. Simply, John 15, we're going to look at help from Jesus for being a disciple. Sound good? We've got five things we're going to look at, so be ready to write down if you have it. We're going to go through them. First thing we need to do is this. Help from Jesus. He's going to give us help about uh, getting this analogy, understanding a very important picture, an analogy, something that he is going to use that is very significant in helping us understand who he is and who we are and who we're meant to be and what it means to be a disciple. Jesus says this in verse one of chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Let's take a few seconds just to understand an analogy that he is going to present to us. Imagine the vineyard. You go out on the vineyard And you see these uh, 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 vines everywhere. And in the vineyard, you have people who have specific jobs. You have the vine dresser, who's the one who goes around and looks at the vine, who Jesus says, I am the vine. And he goes and he inspects the vine to make sure that the vine is doing something very important that branches are growing from it, and that those branches are doing something very important, that the branches are bearing fruit. And the vine dresser is there to make sure that the optimum uh, performance from the vine is happening among the fruits, among the the branches bearing fruit. It's a pretty simple analogy, but it's one that Jesus is is using that he wants to help us to understand something very important about being a disciple. Read along with me, these 11 verses, and let's pay attention to the words of our Lord the night before he dies. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. and that your joy may be full. Do we get the picture? You see the analogy? We understand that. Let's, 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 Let's get the goal here. Jesus is gonna help us to understand the goal that we must know, that we must see, that the ultimate goal of the believer is this, to bear fruit. Look at verse two. Verse two says this, every branch in me that does bear, fr- does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Given us the analogy to help us understand the desire of the vine dresser, equating it to the father, equating himself to the vine, which we're going to talk about here a little bit. And he says the goal of the vineyard of the branches itself, the whole goal of all of that work, the ultimate goal is so that pr- fruit would be produced. What type of vineyard is a vineyard that has no fruit? growing. And so that's the ultimate goal. Look at verse eight. Now drop down to verse eight with me. Look what he says this by this, my father is glorified. What was our mission to glorify God? It's the ultimate purpose of every person on the planet and creation itself to bring glory to the creator, glory to Yahweh, glory to God. And so I clue in when I see a verse like this, like, Ooh, what what is he glorified by by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and in doing that what do you prove you prove in the bearing of fruit to be my disciples you know there's a question that comes along when i when i read this is like what what in the world is fruit Right? So, okay. If fruit is so important, it's what glorifies God. It's what God's looking for. It's the purpose of the branch that's connected to the vine. That's being, that's being taken care of by the vine dresser. What in the world is fruit? I'm going to answer the question, but let me, let's back up a little bit and talk about a few things. What is the context in which Jesus is speaking here to his disciples? It's the night before he is crucified. They're in the upper room. Actually, this is where the Lord's Supper is introduced. Break bread. If you go back to the preceding two chapters, you find out that there's not 11 disciples, but 12 disciples. But when Jesus is talking to the disciples in John 15, well, where you are, there's only 11 disciples. Who's the disciple that's missing in John 15? Judas because if you go back a few chapters you find out that Jesus is saying one of you is of the devil and they're all looking around like oh, could it is it me 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 he's like the one who it is is the one who I'll take bread dip it and hand it to and he does it right in front of them goes straight up to Judas and he says that that you're going to do do quickly and it says G- Judas leaves and the people are like, oh, he's, uh, he's going to go prepare, buy food and prepare for stuff. They still don't get it because Judas is so much one of them that they can't see what he's saying that there's this disciple among them that's not really a disciple. Keep this context in mind. And Judas leaves, he just tells them that one of you is of the devil and he begins to teach them this parable. Obviously, Judas was able to bear some type of fruit. <clears throat> he was able to live a lifestyle in some type of way that it wasn't obvious that he wasn't bearing the fruit God's looking for. Let's take a second to talk about fruit from Scripture. If you look through Scripture, one of the first things that will, that will point out to you as you study fruit is Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit think about that. The fruit or the knowledge that the spirit of God is living inside of you, which the spirit of God lives inside every disciple. There's no such thing as a disciple doesn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So if the spirit is inside of you, there's things that will come out of you. In Galatians chapter five, guess what those fruits were going to church? No, that wasn't one of them being really cordial and nice to people. Well, there's kindness and gentleness. That's part of it. That was one of them. Not offending people. No, that wasn't one of them. There's, there's virtues and qualities that come from the spirit being inside of you that are very hard to fake. Peace, joy. Let me ask you this. When you don't have peace and you don't have joy, can you just like really hard, like, like yeah, I'm gonna have peace and joy. I'm gonna make myself have it. Yeah, I got it totally out of your control. The whole world is spending all of their energy and effort and money and time trying to find those two things. Peace and joy. Trying to get it. Got to get that career. Got to get that marriage. Got to get my kids to turn out a certain way. Got to find my identity in this. Peace and joy, right? Fruits of the spirit. The spirit's really inside of you is there's real peace. There's joy. There's kindness. There's gentleness. There's patience. Self-control, goodness. I can't think. I can't think of them all of them off the top of my head. But if you go back and re, if you go read Galatians five, you'll see these qualities that are opposed to the works of the flesh. That he also gives in Galatians five, and he tells us that the the, the fruits of the spirit. There's no law against these things. That you'll never feel condemnation for for living by the fruits of the spirit, right? Something inside of you that's coming out. There's, it's it's revealing something inside of you. Fruit, the Bible also talks about fruit uh, in a sense of Jesus talking about a tree, a good tree and a bad tree. What does he say about the bad tree? There's something that the bad tree can't do. The bad tree can only bear one type of fruit. It can't bear good fruit. And guess what? A good tree can only bear what type of fruit? Good fruit. He's making a statement about identity. Never does he ever say that the solution for a tree is to start bearing the right type of fruit. He's revealing the issue is what type of tree someone is. And that by your fruits, by their fruits, you will know what is very true about them on the inside. The Bible talks about fruit that comes along with repentance John the Baptist said that to the Pharisees who came to him and heard about him as he was baptizing. And he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to repent from the wrath to come? And he says, bear fruits worthy of keeping with repentance. So if you truly have repented, there should be evidence of that. The fruit of your life should show a life of repentance where you've turned away from a lifestyle of going your own way and doing the things that the God of this world and Satan would do, and you start going a different way towards God, his way, following his word and his way. Fruits are described in repentance. Fruits are described about things that come from our lips, that the praise of God is a fruit. It's really hard, really hard to fake inside your heart an overwhelming, overbubbling, overflowing love for Jesus. Or you wanna sing songs to him, you just burst out of singing songs, right? But, but, but you can fake the outward expression of it. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know in our heart if praise is something that we just do because that's what's socially acceptable in the context we're in. Versus like I'm in a long, like car by myself and I can't help but to sing to this God or no one else is looking and I just wanna sing. Overcome with tears and love and appreciation for God. Fruit, evidence of something that's inside you different. Manifesting self and fruit. We also hear about fruit being talked about as some type of sacrificial giving, giving of yourself, your time, energy, and money, just like the Philippians were. And Paul asked that that type of fruit would continue with them as they were giving to help their brothers and sisters who were in need right? Fruit is a theme through scripture. And as Jesus begins to talk about this with his 11 disciples at the moment who were Jewish, they're also going to be thinking about, wow, he just brought up this analogy of the vine and the vine dresser. And we know our scriptures, we know our old Testament, which they wouldn't have called it at the time. They said, we know our scriptures very well. God has repeatedly referred to Israel as this vine. It's very interesting that then Jesus comes in and he says, I'm the true vine. What you're looking for is not gonna be found in man's effort. And God had said, Israel is not, is not being the nation that it needs to be, which was purposeful because God's ultimate plan was to bring his son through Israel who would be the vine that his people would be connected to and the real power of God would start to manifest itself in people, through Jesus and not through the nation of Israel. So that's why Jesus comes along and the Israelites or the Jews and the Pharisees wanna kill him because he's basically saying, through me, not through you. Through me, not through you. Through me, not through you. Actually, it's John, the passage before, the chapter before John 15, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. What does all this have to do with being a disciple? Disciples of Jesus are getting help from Jesus in this passage as he's saying, hey, I want you to know what it means to be a real disciple. Get the analogy. You see the analogy I'm using? Place yourself in it. Know your part. You're a branch. And know the goal of a branch. The purpose, why you exist, is to bear fruit. Here's the next thing I want us to see. Help from Jesus is this. Heed the warning that Jesus gives. A warning of removal a warning of removal. Verse two, he says this, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. If you go down to verse four, you'll also see this. He says this, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears fruit much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. You know what? There's actually much debate about this portion of scripture. Well, it says the branches that are in Jesus, so are these are the branches that are taken away and the branches that are pruned, are they both genuine believers and he's doing something else with these branches that are in him? Or, 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 or maybe, maybe there's got to be some type of work where, listen, I want you to see the context of this passage is right after Judas, who is the example of a dead branch has just left. Judas is the example. Is Judas a genuine believer? No, he is not. He's a dead branch that's attached to Jesus in a superficial way. And when real life comes along and he's posed with money, he trades Jesus in for money. This is why Jesus said about the soils, there are several different types. There's one that like receives the word of God for a little bit, but the moment they're tasked with the cares of this world, they're driven away by the deceitfulness of riches. They leave Jesus. And there's this warning that he's giving to his people, to his disciples. That would be everyone who's attached to him. There's a warning that if you're not attached to me in the right way, if you're not bearing fruit, you, you are not a part of me. And just like Judas, who in the moment of life when it tested him, he gave up on Jesus, then the book of James should come to mind and we see that he did not have real faith, right? This is the theme that James, we just got done talking about in James, it's showing the fruit, revealing what, what is real about a, a real believer, but he gives this warning, any branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And the ultimate result of a branch that has been taken away is what gathered and thrown into the fire. All those who have a genuine relationship with Jesus will be saved from the wrath to come and will be with him in heaven forever for all of eternity And every single person that does not have a genuine relationship with Jesus, we are told in scripture, will face the wrath of God and will spend eternity in a place called hell, which is a place where God's righteous wrath will be poured out against the demons that rebelled and all mankind that reject his son, Jesus. And Jesus is exposing superficial disciples here There's no such thing as a fruitless disciple. Disciples who are truly his, where Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd and the sheep hear my voice. They come to me and I will in no wise cast out. Jesus does not cast out and take away genuine disciples. Jesus said, all that the father have given me, I I have all that the father have given me and I lose none of them. No man can pluck them out of my father's hand. I promise and I give them eternal life. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when you come to this, and Jesus is talking about these branches that are in him, don't get confused by the in him. The in him is not a true union because the fruit bears there's not a real union with Christ that the disciples have. The in him here and the fruitlessness of the branches reveal that there is not a genuine union with him. And so what is left to do? What does a vine dresser do as he looks through the vine and he sees the branches that aren't bearing fruit, that aren't connected? They're, They're truly not in union with the vine because the nutrients from the vine isn't get to the branch. What do you do? You take that off and you throw it out so it doesn't waste space and it doesn't take up the energy from the vine. They would have understood this picture. And so like Judas who just left, now you have these 11 disciples here and Jesus is giving them very important information about what it means to be a disciple. Heed the warning, every single one of us. The warning is removal. The warning is the same thing happens to everyone who is an unbeliever or someone who's superficially connected to Jesus that's deceived about being believer. It's the same thing. You're gathered along with everyone else and thrown in the fire. Oh, Jesus. But remember, he's speaking these things to us, not so that we feel condemned, but so that we hear the warning and so that our joy would be in us and his joy would, we would be connected and that our joy would be full. So the only thing that's left to do that if you feel here like, man, I'm a, I'm a branch. I've only been superficially connected to the church. I only do this in like social settings, but I know like, like time in life when no one else is watching, I could care less about this Jesus thing. I just know that's true in my heart. This is not a word of condemnation that says there's no hope for you. As long as you're alive, there is always hope for you. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That if you repent and if you believe in Jesus and you turn to him and you start to see him as the one who has all authority and you surrender your life to him and you believe him, truly believe that he's Lord of your life and that he rose from the dead, you'll be saved. And I guarantee you, you'll start to experience what it means to be connected to the vine in the right way. You'll start bearing fruit. I want to read First John. Just to qualify this a little more. The same John who is recording John 15 is the same John who writes First John. And this is what he says about, I would think that he's actually thinking about this teaching when John says this, about branches that do not bear fruit, who are superficial disciples, fake. He says this, children, first John chapter one, first chapter two, children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. I can't help but think he's not thinking about Judas here. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. You see the difference, the comparison? There are those who were connected with us, but time and truth went together to reveal they weren't part because a true disciple, someone who has the anointing, does not leave Jesus when life tests them. They grow. He says this, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father. Now listen to what he says here, and I want you to think about John 15 that uses the word abide I think over 10 times in the verse we're gonna see this very key word Jesus uses, abide, that John wrote, and the same John is now writing this about those who leave like Judas did. Listen to what he says here in John 1 John 2. He says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father, and this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life, You can't read the works of John and not read that and not immediately think about what he wrote in John 15 about Jesus talking about abide, when Jesus said abide, 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 over and over and over. That branches, the warning to any branch that is superficially in him not bearing fruit, the warning is repent, give your life to Jesus, join the family truly and start bearing fruit, which is what you're made for. Which is what glorifies the Father. You know, I can't help but wonder if the disciples, as they're hearing this, what Jesus did to the barren fig tree starts to make sense. Do you guys know the story? They're walking along and Jesus curses the fig tree. They come back again, and Jesus curses it again, and it literally withers before their eyes. Well, what is it that Jesus is so mad about this tree? And the disciples are like, What was that all about? They come upon this fig tree and they look and there's no fruit on it, none. It's, it's, it's literally a tree that's occupying space. You are a fig tree. You were meant to be bearing figs and there's nothing there. And the creator of the universe, who was the one who has masterfully and artistically and creatively made everything for our purpose, sees the purpose of that creation. It says, it's not fulfilling what I made it for. And he curses it and it withers up. A fruitless life is a wasted life. A fruitless life is a worthless life. A fruitless life is a useless life. And the Father is like, Man, I've made you for a purpose, and my disciples accomplish something, and I have them here for a purpose. And all of these branches that are growing off of the vine that are superficially connected, I know the heart, I know what's going on. I'll deal with it. I wonder if the disciples, as they're hearing Jesus talk in John 15, aren't getting it a little more about what he did with the fig tree. Get the analogy, the vineyard. Know your place in it. Jesus is the vine. Father is the vine dresser. We are the branches. Know the goal. The goal is to bear fruit because there's no other way to glorify God except through the fruit that he wants to see in our life, the fruit of a changed life as a result of believing in Jesus. Heed the warning. There is removal of the branches that do not bear fruit. But see this next one. Brace for the genuine disciples who are bearing fruit who do have genuine salvation, who believe in Jesus and have surrendered their life, brace for growth. Look what he says in verse two. He says indeed that every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. But he says this, every branch that does bear fruit, he does something with it. He doesn't take it away. He prunes it. He prunes it now, then verse three he says, "Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you, and then he says that he prunes these branches so that they will bear more fruit, and then the goal at the of a life of a branch that is being pruned is is when it 's played its part, it will have much fruit there to show, which is why. If you keep going, he uses now the phrase much fruit because the end of your life should be one of much fruit. No matter how short or long that life is, it's fruit bearing as a disciple. Why do I say brace for growth? Right? Because just like in the analogy you want the branch that is producing fruit. Oh, it's connected in a good way. And you know that if there's certain things that you do to it, it will actually start to bear even more fruit. And so what do you do? You go in, you take the the little stems and you cut it in a certain way. And then things as a result of that cutting will then begin to start to grow new shoots and it'll to. To, to grow and then you'll see more fruit as a result of it. What does the analogy here say about us as branches, genuine believers of Jesus? Hey, brace for growth. God is going to grow you. He didn't just save you and create like one little grape and then say, man, I just want to sit here and like, like just like love that. Like, I love that. You're bearing fruit. I love you so much, so much so that the rest of your life is going to be me doing everything for your good. It's going to be bringing in the things that you need that will make you the person that I've predestined you to be. And guess what? We've revealed, he's revealed what that is, that we've all been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I want you to turn into Jesus here on earth. And guess what? It doesn't happen overnight. I've got to prune you. Guess what pruning is? Look at the book of James. It's the testing and the hardship of your faith. Hebrews 12 also says it's the discipline of the Lord that he brings to those who are his, who are not illegitimate, who are his children because he loves you he will discipline you when the things of the world slowly creep in or a blight in your life slowly creeps in he will discipline you because you love he loves you not because he hates you and not because he's mad at you and not because he wants to just see you hurt he wants to discipline you because he loves you he is pruning you and then hebrews 12 says that after discipline has happened and guess what well, guess what comes as a result of discipline does anyone know in hebrews 12 the peaceful fruit of righteousness there's that word again Pruning can be the testing of your faith. It actually is always testing your faith and legitimate believers when they experience life and they're tested with the hardship of life, the suffering of life, the comforts and the temptations of life are always experiencing some type of process of pruning that is actually causing them to become more like Jesus. So when you see someone in life who says, yes, I follow Jesus, but then life starts to press in on them and they, they start to like, yeah, I trust in Jesus less and a little less. And you know, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. How could a loving God X, Y, Z, you name it. And next thing you know, the fruit of their life is one that's leaving because as they experienced the testing of their faith, it didn't produce patience. As James says, it revealed who they really were. Which is why we're going to make such a big deal about, man, pay attention to things that are going on around you. Life is not about just the things that you are facing on a physical level. Everything that you experience, everything from a world standpoint, from the enemy who is at work constantly, is only wanting you to give up on the one whom you claim to believe. And so he will be sure to use anything as an opportunity to try to twist your mind and your heart and soul into giving up on Jesus. And he's really good at it. But being connected to the vine, having the father, the vine dresser, he's going to use those things as pruning. And genuine believers will grow as a result of the experience of the hardship in life. From losing a loved one to being faced with terminal illness to being faced with coronavirus, to being faced with governments going crazy, to being faced with war and hardship, being faced with persecution, being faced with losing finances, being faced with losing a job, being faced with your kids going out of control, being faced with parents who don't seem to love you or who have abandoned you, being faced with all of these things. It drives the genuine disciple of Jesus to their knees and an dependency on Jesus that in some way seems to make them grow into the image of Jesus even more. It's the pruning process of the Father. Brace for it. Embrace it. Expect it. If you're His, it's coming and it is a good thing. But in the cutting, there's an implication of pain. But don't fear it because there's pain in life regardless. And being connected to the vine and the pruning of the Father makes every single ounce of pain you experience have purpose. That's the difference. Brace for growth, pruning. And Jesus is helping us as disciples. He's helping us with these words. Here's the final thing. If there's one thing you do, if there's one thing we do from this passage, there's a command here. Do this one thing. Always abide. Do this one thing. Always abide abide. And here's where I'm trying to bring this all together. And this is why this is the last thing is because this is what we need to focus on. Notice here that Jesus is not saying as my disciples, you better go out and bear fruit. That's not what he's saying. He's saying my disciples do bear fruit and I'm glorified by that. But you know Do you know how they're able to do this impossible thing? Do you know how they're able to bear fruit? Do you know how they're able able to in their life experience things that no one else can experience that's not connected to the vine because they're doing this one thing? Is that they're abiding. They're abiding in Jesus. Now that word abide is kind of nuanced when we say it because then immediately as soon as I say it, it's like, what does abide mean and how do you abide? Like it sounds super important, but I don't really quite comprehend it. The word "meno" in the Greek, here's a word that I think it better helps us to understand simply what it means. "meno" means this, remain, remain, abide, continue, stay. If you look later, Jesus starts to talk about how the world will hate his disciples. And then he says later in John 15, I've said these things to you so that you might not fall away. The book of James, stay. You can see this theme throughout the whole New Testament and the theme of revelation for the disciples and the followers of Jesus is to endure, don't give up. The greatest quality of a legitimate disciple of Jesus is that no matter what happens in your life, you remain in Jesus, you remain, you abide. uh, start in verse four with me. And I want us to pay attention to every time he says the word abide. Look what he says, Jesus speaking. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing if anyone does not abide, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. But he doesn't stop there. Verse nine As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I've spoken to you that you may that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Very important word for the Christian. And that is in the command, the imperative command form for us is to abide. Notice not go bear fruit. It's you cannot bear fruit on your own. This is impossible for you to do. The only way to accomplish this type of fruit is through a genuine, genuine abiding, remaining, continued, connected relationship with Jesus Christ, who is divine. And look at the analogy. The analogy makes sense. Because only the branch that is connected to the vine where the nutrients comes, there's no way for it to bear fruit if it doesn't have the nutrients. Every single believer, true disciple, being a disciple, the biggest quality is that you are remaining in Jesus. There's a few things here. What are we abiding in? Ultimately in Jesus. But notice he also says this, my words must abide in you. My words must abide in you. What do we talk about? Jesus, the foundation The word of God, you you can't have one without the other. It's 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 both. It's it's abiding in Jesus, and it's his words that mean more than anything, trembling at his word, abiding in me, like man, this is what I follow, this is my this is my guide to life. It is a lamp to feet and a light to my path, and and it's what is inside of me. And I follow it. But he also says this abide in my love. I want you to experience my love. On the foundation where you are abiding in the person of Jesus and his words are abiding in you, he says, if you keep my commandments, then you will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will experience my love, which the world is looking for. They don't even know it. Well, what do you mean, Jesus, if I keep your commandments? Let's talk about, let's start with just the first and greatest commandment. I mean, think about what God is saying. First and greatest commandment. Man, love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength. That sounds pretty genuine, that you can't fake that. That's not a command that you can go out and fake. It is the first and the greatest. So if you can go out and follow some of the Ten Commandments, but you don't do the first and greatest, it doesn't matter. The goal of the Christian is to find its satisfaction and its love and its everything in God alone. And life is a fight to not let anything take that place. I mean, think about it. Think of what we struggle with. The, the, the worthless things that we struggle to put all of our love, energy, effort, money, time, and affection on that are worthless. And Jesus is the one who died for us. And he's saying, I want you to love me. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Well, the first and greatest is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love others as yourself. And actually, the Bible then says that the rest of the law And the rest of the commandments, follow those two. If you can get those two right, if that is what's categorizing your relationship with Jesus, you're gonna abide in his love, experience his love. You're gonna have the joy that the world's looking for. You're gonna have the peace that the world is looking for. And you know it. If you're here, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you have experienced. And you're remaining and you're staying in your greatest greatest effort of life is like, man, I don't want to give up on Jesus. He's not going to give up on me, but I don't want to give up on him. I want to remain. I want to abide because the pleasures of life forevermore are only at his right hand and joy is only in his presence, the fullness of it, which is why he says this. I've written these things to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And now we know that John, who was listening to Jesus saying this many years later in his life, man, he got this and he was carrying this and he wanted this message to continue. Because if you go to 1 John, where we were earlier, at the very beginning, you know what he says? He says, then, he said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, Jesus, we've heard him, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, talking about Jesus, that life was manifested and we've seen it. We've seen Jesus. We testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life that everyone's looking for, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, and l- listen, listen, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus. And we are writing these things to you that our joy may be complete. Fullness, completeness, joy, peace, pleasure, all those things are only found And abiding in Jesus. So, if there's a message that Jesus would want to leave his disciples before he died on the cross, and they started experiencing several days of wondering what in the world was going on, it's the message of abide, remain. All of these things you've seen, but the one thing we must do in order to accomplish the goal, the one thing that accomplishes the goal, is not self effort, because we can do nothing. It's relying on and abiding in Jesus Christ who can do everything. And without him, we can do nothing. And he loves us so much that he died for us the next day. We want his love to stay in us, his word to stay in us. We wanna continue to experience his love. And we must reject, unlike Judas did, the moments of life that come to tempt us and to test us to give up on him. Being a disciple means this. Our mission as a church full of disciples, God, make us your true disciples. And then we will go out and make other disciples like this as well because this is who the Father is looking for. Let's pray. God, you're better than we deserve. And God is studying this. I have to admit the many, many times my heart was was sunken and pulled into the depths of fear as I thought about what it would mean to be a branch not bearing fruit and what it would be like to have you take me away. But God, I know that as a genuine disciple, you'll never do that to those who are yours. And God, the message goes out to everyone everywhere as long as it's called today, as long as there hope, anyone can be saved. But God, how tragic it would be like Judas to spend so much time with you to spend so much time with you, seeing and hearing and tasting and knowing and then in a momentary moment, give it all up for something that is so small and worthless. God, I think about Peter who denied you, who denied you but you came back and reaffirmed versus Judas who took matters into his own hand and killed himself. You're the one we need to be running to in all moments of life, even when we face the guilt and the sins of our flesh. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for salvation and forgiveness. Make us a people who abide every single day of our life. We pray this in his name.